Welcome to Today's Issues. Join us for the next hour as we offer a Christian response to the issues of the day. And welcome to this Thursday edition of Today's Issues. No, it's not Tim. It's not Ed. Uh, It's just Fred, along with Chris and Ray Pritchard in Kansas City. It's a coup, guys. We've taken over. (laughs) <laughs> Tim and Ed, they're gone, they're out of town, and here we are. Here we are. We're going to do our very best to to fill their chairs, as it were. <laughs> now they're just away. A couple of days of meetings, but they'll be back here before you know it. Uh, but you know what? Uh, when folks go away, for whatever reason, the news continues. And uh, we're not going to waste any time, Mr. Chris, this morning. You've got big news coming from the United States Supreme Court. That is right. Uh, Top of uh, AFN.net right now, our website, it says, Supreme Court strikes New York gun law in major ruling. Uh, The justices' 6-3 to decision is expected to ultimately allow more people to legally carry guns on the streets of the nation's largest cities, including New York, Los Angeles, and Boston, and elsewhere. Uh, This had to do with a case out of New York, uh, where the justices struck down a law requiring people to demonstrate a particular need for carrying a gun in order to get a license to carry one in public. Yeah, this this is, uh, you know, the 6-3 uh, to three decision, as I say, and Ray writing for mm-hmm. the six justices was Clarence Thomas. And let me just, apparently the ruling is like over 100 pages, but let me just summarize what Justice uh, Thomas had to say. We have a Second Amendment in this country, and it says the right to bear arms. You don't have to explain to a jurisdiction why you want to bear that arm. Uh, And so, yeah, it was pretty clear to Clarence Thomas, but a big victory for Second Amendment rights, Ray. You know, if, if people want to understand what we mean when we talk about an originalist kind of justice, this is what we're talking about, Fred. We're talking about putting justices on the Supreme Court who can actually read what the Constitution says, who actually take the words as they are given. So when the Second Amendment says the right to bear arms, that is to be taken literally, that the citizen should not have to show cause why they need a firearm. In fact, it should be the uh, it should be the responsibility of the government to to explain why you don't have that right. So this is a huge victory, huge victory for gun rights generally, but it's also, Fred, uh, a real victory for the Constitution for reading what it actually says. Let me read a little bit more from uh, Justice Thomas's. Uh, he wrote the majority opinion. He said, in this case, petitioners and respondents agree that ordinary law-abiding citizens have a similar right to carry handguns publicly for their self-defense. We, too, agree and now hold consistent with Heller and McDonald that the Second and Fourteenth Amendments protect an individual right to carry a handgun for self-defense outside the home. And that was the crux of this case from New York, Chris. Uh, New York was okay with somebody having a gun inside their house, Mm -hmm. but if they wanted to carry it outside the house, they had to go and explain to the state, why do you want to do that? Yeah, you had to go and explain to the government why the government, which already allows you to have said gun, should let you leave your property with your property. Yeah, and it was another, Ray, it was another one of those six to three decisions 
uh, and no surprise, um, I was going to say you have six conservative justices. I have to qualify that remark by saying Chief Justice Roberts would be a sometimes conservative, but in this case, right. he did go with the other five. And uh, and the other three, Sotomayor, Breyer, and Kagan, uh, were on the other side of this issue. We're getting a lot of six to three decisions this time around, and it points to the uh, it points to the fact one thing, Ray, that we better be thankful for former President Trump. He was given the opportunity to put three justices on that court, and what a difference it's making. Well, we say all the time here on AFR that elections have consequences, right? I mean, we see it with the man who's in the White House now. But thank God that for that first term, Donald Trump was in office because he gave us Kavanaugh and he gave us Gorsuch. And there at the very end, we got Amy Coney Barrett in sort of just under the wire. And that has made all the difference in these six to three cases. So, folks, your vote matters. Elections have consequences. And uh, thank God there is a conservative majority now on the Supreme Court, really, for the first time that I can ever remember. Yeah. You know, it was interesting when the arguments were made in this case, and I assume, Chris, it was several months ago. It was. Justice Brett Kavanaugh asked this question. (laughs) Why isn't it good enough to say I live in a violent area and I want to defend myself? I mean, this is such basic stuff, guys. Mm -hmm. And, And the court just said this makes common sense, but more importantly, we have amendments. We have constitutional amendments in this country. We have constitutional protections, and a particular government agency is not allowed to say, no, uh, I don't agree with that. There are ways to change the Constitution in this country, but, you know, uh, a lawmaker who has a particular liberal bend is not allowed to do that. Yeah, and the news, unfortunately, too many people get their knowledge of what the Constitution says based on what a politician tells them it says, Mm. and more importantly, what the mainstream media tells them it says which is why you listeners need to brush up on the Constitution and share what the Constitution provides for all of us. That way people get the actual uh, truth about what we are afforded to or or provided by our own Constitution. To answer your um, question there a minute ago on when the argument was made, it looks like it was uh, made back in November. So here we are six months-ish later, uh, maybe more than that. Now, uh, uh, anyway, I I think... Fred, you and I think of the same thing. Any word yet about the abortion decision? Well, Chris, uh, today's decisions are out. They add it tomorrow to the agenda of when other decisions will be announced. Yes. So maybe tomorrow? Maybe tomorrow. Uh, you might as well. I'm going to legally change my name to maybe because I, I keep telling people in the newsroom that maybe today, maybe tomorrow. Actually, when I sat down today, uh, in the newsroom next to the legendary Charlie Butts, I said, Charlie, today may be the day. <laughs> and uh, it looks like tomorrow may be the day. And if it doesn't come tomorrow, it may be next week. Yeah, so we're waiting. But those those are two key decisions, obviously, Roe v. Wade and the case of, uh, of uh, Coach Joe Kennedy. Joe Kennedy uh, from Bremerton, Washington. Mm-hmm. Those, those are two big cases, obviously, and uh, we're awaiting those. And I know, uh, Ray, we could sit here and speculate, <laughs> but right now, uh, it, I'm, I'm remaining cautiously optimistic on both cases, uh, that they will rule in favor of Justice, uh, pardon me, Coach Kennedy, and rule uh, 
that Roe v. Wade should be struck down. Abortion rights should be a state's mm-hmm. decision. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic on that, not just because of the makeup of the court, but I do believe um, that the, there is a movement in that direction. Number one, we have seen decisions protecting religious rights. Right. Uh, and what we have to remind people, what Coach Kennedy was doing there in Bremerton, Washington, as a high school coach of a football team, after the game was over, he simply went to the center of the field and knelt down and prayed. He never said, guys, you have to come with me. Yeah. You have to do this. You don't have to pray to my God. Yeah. And, and really, this case was, this was amazing to me. There was one mom who uh, whose son uh, was not part of a Christian denomination, uh, but said, you know, my son feels awkward. Well, we can't make legal decisions based on someone's feeling about being awkward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that was kind of the whole thrust of this. Yeah. A lot of people have uh, said that Joe Kennedy's firing was justified because he had been told by the school district to stop praying. But he felt that his constitutional rights allowed him to uh, pray, uh, despite what the school district told him to. And, and that's where I think this New York state kind of sort of applies, uh, this New York case w- with the guns, kind of sort of carries over into uh, the, the freedom to pray. Uh, issue because you as an attorney can go before the Supreme Court and say, Justice Thomas, in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association, Inc. v. Bruin, you wrote that we have something in this country called the Second Amendment. There's nothing to prevent an attorney from saying we have something in this country called the First Amendment, which allows Joe Kennedy to pray, even if his employer says you can't do that. Therefore, you should rule in favor of Joe Kennedy. All right. We will wait and see, but we have to wait at least another day uh, for Roe Maybe. v. Wade. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, we're on watch here, and uh, we'll certainly bring you that news. And with when my it comes. luck, it'll come at five thirty-five uh, later tomorrow. today. Yes. All right, Chris. Next story. All right. Uh, we talked a little bit about this yesterday on the program, and a lot of people are still talking about it today because uh, Joe Biden actually came out in public and, and said as much. Uh, President Joe Biden is now calling for what is being referred to as a federal gas tax holiday for the next three months. So the Biden administration for the next three months wants the government to kind of uh, turn the other cheek on the gas tax that we apply to a gallon of regular gasoline, a gallon of diesel. Uh, When it comes to the uh, regular, you're paying 18.4 cents per gallon diesel. It's about a quarter. And Joe Biden wants to the government to just look the other way on that and not apply that tax in an effort to bring down the price of gas for people out there that are struggling with these high gas prices. I got a little bit of the audio from yesterday's announcement. We'll begin here with clip one. Today I'm calling for a federal gas tax holiday, state gas tax holiday for the equivalent relief to customers, oil companies to use their profits to increase refining capacity rather than buy back their own stock, gas stations to pass along the decree uh, excuse me, uh, the, uh, not to decree, but the decrease in oil prices to lower prices at the pump. And together, these actions could help drop the price at the pump by up to $1 a gallon or more. It doesn't reduce all the pain, but it would be a big help. I'm doing my part. I want the Congress, the states, and the industry to do their part as well. He's doing his part. <laughs> oh, Ray, I could say so much. Um, yeah, he's doing his part all right. Uh, I, I, we played this clip yesterday, um, but I want to play it again 
because uh, back in 2008, uh, Joe Biden's former boss, uh, Barack Obama, who's running for office, I think, at he the was. time when he made this statement, here's what he had to say about taking a holiday from this uh, federal gas tax. It's cut number three. For us to pretend like we're solving the problem by giving people 30 cents a day for a grand total of $28, that's it. That's our plan to deal with gas prices and energy. So this isn't a real solution. This is a gimmick. And this is what Washington does whenever there's a big problem. They pretend that they're solving it to try to get through political season but they don't really solve it. Let's say an amen to Barack Obama <laughs> in 2008. <laughs> Go ahead, Ray. Well, he's exactly right. This is just another gimmick, a government gimmick. And look, we're all in favor of lower gas prices, but the president, he helped create this crisis on day one of his presidency when he shut down the Keystone Pipeline. He's been an enemy of the oil and gas industry. He, he was that way. I mean, we really shouldn't be surprised, guys. He was that way while he was running. He's no friend of oil and gas. He's no friend of domestic oil production. So it's rather hypocritical for him under political pressure to say something like this. Look, I'd be completely happy, by the way, to get rid of the federal gas tax if that, I mean, on a permanent basis, if that could be done. Otherwise, generally, what Barack Obama said in 08 is exactly right. Let's call it what it is, guys. It's a gimmick and nothing more. Chris, I love that line when he said yesterday, I'm doing my part. Yeah. Yeah, he sure has done his part. Yeah, yeah he has. What's interesting here, too, and this has kind of gotten lost in the uh, the news coverage on this. Um, after that statement, he went on to explain why prices are high, and he blamed Vladimir Putin, of course. You'll hear that in this soundbite that we're going to play. But he also went on to blame the response from his administration – as well as other world governments when it comes to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Clip two. And let's remember how we got here. Putin invaded Ukraine. Putin invaded Ukraine with 100,000 forces. Just look at the facts. Since the start of the war in Ukraine this year, gas prices have risen by almost $2 a gallon in the United States and sometimes more around the world. But it wasn't just Putin's invasion of Ukraine. It was refusal of the United States and the rest of the free world to let Putin get away with something we haven't seen since World War II. I said at the time, siding with Ukraine during the most serious aggression in Europe since World War II, defending freedom, defending democracy, was not going to go without cost for the American people and the rest of the free world. Now, here's, here's what's interesting to me here. Um, he, he said he knew this was going to be a problem and then he's talking about how he's doing his part. He needs to realize that he's not just an environmental group's president. He's the president of all of us, of all these United States of America. And he himself has talked about how he needs to be the unifier in chief. He should have from that point forward in February. And I know hindsight's 2020, but he should have from that day of the invasion, gotten everybody together and said, look, I'm concerned about emissions. I'm concerned about climate change and all these other things. But we need to find ways to make sure that we don't have pain here at the pump and our allies don't have problems with gas or whatnot. He's made statements. He's had people come over and talk about the White House, or talk, talk about things at the White House. But he could have done a lot of things differently three, four, five months ago 
where this would not be a problem, where he thinks 18.4 cents is going to make a difference. Right. Uh, the big problem here is, is that when he was running uh, for president, candidate Joe Biden hmm. made it very clear that uh, he was going to go to war against the oil and gas uh, industry in this country. Uh, he said he was going to cut back. There would be no drilling on federal lands, for example. Uh, and basically, his first day in office, as we've said many times before, he killed Keystone, putting thousands of people out of work. But he never talks about that. He blames it's Putin price increases. We hear that over and over again. Uh, now, he's, now he's blaming the oil and gas companies. He says they're price gouging. In fact, it's very interesting, Ray. Um, he, the White House was saying, yeah, we're going to have the oil and gas people in to have a discussion uh, about how we can, they can help the situation. But today, as we sit here, those oil and gas companies are in Washington, but they're not going to the White House. He doesn't want them, Biden, at the White House. In fact, Biden's not meeting with them. He's, uh, he's having his energy secretary sit down with them. But do you know who he's meeting with at the White House? Sitting down with folks? Oh, yes. He's sitting down with uh, folks that are developing offshore windmills for power. All right? That's who he's meeting with. And that is the basis of the whole problem, Ray. The basis of this, there is a philosophical difference. He's trying to get rid of oil and gas. We are paying the price for that. But as Biden himself has said, hey, we're in a transitional period to what his real agenda is, and that is alternative sources of fuel. Well, let's be honest and and call it like it is. Here we are in toward the end of June. We've got July, we've got August, we've got September, we've got October, and then what do we have? we got the midterm elections coming up, and the, the folks in the White House can read the polls. And I, I was checking the polls earlier this morning. They could not be more dismal for the president and his party than they are right now. It's just the arrow is going straight down. So the Democrat strategist and the president, they know they are in real trouble when the midterm rolls around. So suddenly, after months of inactivity, after months of doing nothing, suddenly the president comes out with this statement. But Americans understand. We understand bread and butter issues like how much you pay for food and how much you pay for mm -hmm. gas. And I think the Democrat Party is coming up on a bloodbath in November. And I think this little, this 18 cents a gallon stuff, Americans aren't going to be fooled by this at all. There's a day of reckoning coming for the bad decisions right. that we've had coming out of the White House. Let's say you have a car that's got, I'm just throwing it out here, uh, 18 gallon tank, 18.4 <clears throat> cents per gallon with an 18 gallon tank is not going to is not going to give you much savings. If you do have any kind of savings, it's just going to go to your food bill or something else that right. you're already paying higher prices for. One of the things that uh if he hasn't already said so, he will say it again. And I think if I had a nickel for every time I heard him say this, I wouldn't be sweating gas prices. But uh Joe Biden for a couple of months now, he comes out and he talks about how listen, I know how this feels. I grew up in a family where when the price of food and fuel went up, we felt it. So he tries to, you know, get down to our level and relate to us, even though he's been in public office living on our dime for 50 years. I looked it up. His family moved from Pennsylvania to Delaware in 1953. And we do have a thing called inflation, I know. The inflation calculator says that uh, if I purchased an item for $0.28 cents 
1953, which is what the average price of gas was in 1953, that in today's dollars would be $3. Uh-huh. So it, it doesn't even relate to our situation because you have Americans that are paying twice that uh-huh. in some places for gas. So, you know, if you're 40 with a couple of kids, a wife, and a mortgage, a president telling you what his family felt in 1953 is not going to resonate with as many people as you think it would, which is why I think to raise points, you're going to have a bloodbath in November because people don't want to hear this stuff anymore. They want to see actual change that are going to impact them in a positive way, not a fuzzy, warmy soundbite that he thinks, uh, you know, somebody is, is going to make somebody feel better. You know, um Press releases are very interesting, and and the Associated Press uh, wrote a story this morning on uh, Joe Biden's meeting today with these wind turbine people. So the AP, just right from the White House press release, here's what it says. Biden has set a goal of deploying 30 gigawatts of offshore wind power by 2030. 2030 is only eight years away, enough to provide electricity to 10 million homes support 77,000 jobs, and spur $12 billion per year in private investment in offshore wind. Offshore wind is a key component in the Democratic president's plan to make the nation's electric grid (laughs) carbon-free. Carbon-free by 2035. That's not very far away. Carbon-free? Question. Where is the electricity going to come from to plug in the cars? Where is that going to come from? You're not going to be able to do it. Listen, common sense people know that this is all political gibberish. It is. It is impossible for this to happen. And, you know, enough electricity for 10 million homes within eight years from windmills out in the Atlantic Ocean? Give me a break. That ain't going to happen. It's just not going to happen. But they... They just put this stuff out here, and just like this AP story, nobody's stopping to think, wait a minute, I I don't think that's accurate, Ray. Nobody's stopping. Well, it's just political theater, guys. Uh, Does anybody believe that offshore windmills are going to provide any significant part of the power supply for the United States in the near future? And the answer's got to be no. I don't know what's going to happen 30 or 40 years down the road. It's striking to me, Fred, what you said earlier, that the president is not meeting with the heads of the oil and gas industry. He's meeting with the offshore windmill people who are, you know, God bless them, whatever they're going to do out there in the ocean, it's not going to make a difference anytime soon. And we have a real live uh, energy crisis on our hands today why isn't the president why isn't he doing anything besides issuing press releases and making uh political theater in his statements i don't get it at all to to give you guys an idea of how big a hill uh renewables have to climb to get past fossil fuels um Mm -hmm. the uh, primary source of electricity in the country has been for a long time natural gas it passed coal several years ago because the obama administration frowned on coal So the dominant source of electricity in this country comes from uh, natural gas. Coal is number two. Nuclear, 18.9% of the nation's electricity. You get into renewables. 20% of the nation's electricity supposedly comes from renewables, but 9.2% of that is wind. For wind to replace natural gas is going to require trillions of dollars from the government, which has already caused our inflation problem. 
You know, the bottom line, guys, in all of this, the American people aren't buying it. The polls are very consistent now. They say the country's in trouble. We have poor leadership, and they want a change in direction. And uh, that may be manifested in what we see coming our way in election results in November. All right, you're listening to today's issues, Fred, Chris, and Ray. We're going to be back right after the break. We're going to be talking with Jan and Markel in uh, Minnesota, Minneapolis. And uh, interesting discussion, I think, on what the Bible says our priorities should be. What does the American Family Association stand for? AFA aims to evangelize the lost and disciple the believer. AFA aims to strengthen biblical marriages and equip parents to raise godly children. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us. Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Jericho, Nazareth, the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, all these places you've heard about your whole life. You've read about them in the Bible. Well, guess what? We're going to go see them. That's right. March 2023, we're going to go to the Holy Land. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, my dad started taking tours to Israel as a Methodist pastor in the late 60s, and then he taught me how to lead tour groups, and I started helping him in the 80s, and then he stopped doing them in the 90s, and then my wife and I have been doing them ever since. So we have a lot of experience traveling to Israel, and we would love for you to come with us in March 2023. The itinerary, the cost, everything about the tour is available at twholyland.com. Just go to the website right now, twholyland.com, for all the information on the March 2023 trip to Israel. Hello Americans, I'm Todd Starnes. Stand by for news and commentary next. Uh, my goal as a teacher is, is to impart knowledge and then be able then for them to take it and turn it into wisdom. As we teach, I think, okay, five years down the road, how will the material that I am teaching them really affect their lives and their careers? Hi, Todd Starnes here. Truett offers biblically-centered degree programs. Check out truett.edu slash Starnes. Gun control legislation is advancing in the U.S. Senate thanks to a group of renegade Republicans, 14 in all, led by Senator John Cornyn of Texas. They joined Democrats to craft a bipartisan gun grab. Supporters say it'll curb mass shootings. Critics warn it'll give the government power to strip law-abiding gun owners of their weapons. I've posted the names of the 14 lawmakers on my website. Senate Republicans betrayed the base of the Republican Party this week. They betrayed law-abiding gun owners. They betrayed the Second Amendment. Voters will have a decision to make in the fall. Do they cast their ballot for Democrats who keep their campaign promises or rhinos who break their campaign promises? You know, it's sad to say, but far-left Democrats have turned out to be much more trustworthy than Republicans in name only. By the way, be sure to read my book, Culture Jihad, How to Stop the Left from Killing a Nation. It's available at ToddSterns.com. Be silent before me so that I may speak, and let come upon me what may. Why should I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hands? Though he slay me, I will hope in him. 
Job 13, 13 through 15. American Family Radio. This is today's issues. Email your comments to comments at AFR.net. Past broadcasts of today's issues are available for listening and viewing in the archive at AFR.net. Now, back to more of today's issues. And certainly welcome back, Fred, Chris, and Ray with you today. Tim and Ed are away for a few days. Uh, We're happy to uh, fill in for the guys. And uh, Chris, uh, in case folks are just joining us, uh, there's a big major story out of the Supreme Court. We talked about it off the top of the show. Mm -hmm. Just give us a brief summary once again. Yes. uh, In a 6-3 to decision today, the Supreme Court struck down a restrictive New York gun law in a major ruling for gun rights. Uh, The justices struck down a New York law requiring people to demonstrate a particular need for carrying a gun in order to get a license to carry one in public. Basically, New York didn't want people leaving their house with their own gun. And uh, the Supreme Court said today, we have a thing called the Second Amendment. You can't do that. Yeah. Uh, Clarence Thomas wrote the decision. Uh, say we have, you know, we got a Second Amendment, folks, and it doesn't put qualifiers that New York was trying to put in there. So a good decision today for Second Amendment rights people. We are still waiting on the Roe v. Wade decision and still waiting on the Coach Kennedy decision. Mm-hmm. And that could come maybe, maybe today, tomorrow, sometime next week. They have to pretty well make decisions by the end of this month, right? Yeah, we did get into that with Abe uh, last week, I think it was. I mean, there's nothing to stop them from issuing an opinion in July, but Mm -hmm. Abe thought it would be by the end of the month, if I remember that interview correctly. We will wait and see, and uh, Lord willing, be here to report on that when it happens. All right, one of my favorite programs on American Family Radio is Understanding the Times, which you hear at 1 p.m. Central on Saturday and noon on Sunday. And the host of that program is my good friend, Jan Markell, who joins us now from Minneapolis. Jan, good morning to you. Oh, Fred, thank you. Thank you, gentlemen, for having me. Yeah, and we always talk to Jan about the weather in Minneapolis. But (laughs) you told us last week it's just as steamy hot there as it is in most parts of the country. It is, absolutely. There's no escape anymore. No. (laughs) There's no (laughs) escape. So no, go to the Northwest Territories of Canada. I know, I know. So here you are, Jan. You kind of have to stay indoors in the wintertime in Minneapolis. <laughs> and now That's here right. you are in the summer, and you kind of got to stay indoors. But anyway. It's pretty uh, boring up here. <laughs> <laughs> Jan, uh, you know, in my, my devotion this morning, it took me, a portion of the devotion took me to the fourth chapter of Revelation. And uh, I, I just want to read a few verses here. It is where John is taken up during his, his vision. He is taken up and has given a, a picture of, of heaven and what is there. And I'm just going to read a few verses. It says, And all around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, and the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And it struck me, you know, we're all like this in Bible reading. You know, I've read this these verses a thousand times before, but this morning for something it triggered this this phrase here, 
who was and is and is to come. And and Jan, I, I you know, our churches, our faithful churches obviously mm. preach from God's word, which is a lot about what in the Old Testament, how God worked through the uh, the Jewish nation in the New Testament, uh, Jesus has he walked this earth, what he did, what he said, uh, and is. Uh, I think we can relate today's news yeah. to to uh, what the Lord is doing today, and you do a lot with that in your program. But we don't hear a lot, and and feel free to disagree with me, Janet and Ray. Uh, we don't hear a lot from our pulpits today. That last bit and is to come. Jesus is going to return for us, and someday he's going to set up his kingdom. But, Jan, do you agree that we that last part we don't hear a lot about these days? Well, that's the most frequent email this ministry would get, um, and that would be, can you help me find a church that talks about the fact that the king is coming? And quite frankly, my sad answer to that is I really can't, just because I can't visit hundreds of thousands of churches across the country, but I can tell you the sentiment of at least my ministry followers are, my heart is broken because we want to hear these things from the pulpit, and in some cases they'll tell me they visited every potential church in their community to see if they might be speaking about this, and in every case they either um, haven't done that, or, and in some cases, the, the comment to, for, uh, to to the person inquiring is, and we never will, because it's divisive. We don't know which theology is correct. Uh, we might be steering, frightening people and scaring them away, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I could go on and on, but that's a short answer to your question. Ray? You know, Jan, I can remember when, and this is going to date me somewhat, back yeah. when when I was growing up, that in, in Bible-believing churches, Sunday night was Bible prophecy time, and you'd have mm-hmm. the charts, and you'd have the graphs and the pictures, and often the sanctuaries would be filled with people because mm-hmm. people were hungry to know what does the future hold and what, what does God say. It seems to me that from from having a strong emphasis on Bible prophecy, it's almost as if we're embarrassed to talk about it today. What has happened? What has happened inside? And I'm not talking about the liberal, Jan, the the modernist denominations. What's happened inside our evangelical churches that we no longer want to talk about Bible prophecy? Well, and by the way, I remember what you're describing growing up as well. Um, uh, what's happened, I'm, I'm going give to a, give a few terms, it would be the seeker-sensitive movement, which somewhere in the 90s um, and early 2000s said that we, we've got to attract the masses, we'll do it in, in all sorts of ways from contemporary music, which, I mean, I'm, I'm not here to be a music critic today, uh, but some of it can be difficult. I mean, when they're when they're handing out earplugs as you go into the sanctuary, you know there might be a problem. So the seeker-sensitive movement, and by the way, Bill Hybels is one who founded that, and he admitted it was a failure. He said, "Yeah, we drew we drew lots of people uh, to to uh, Willow Creek, but he admitted that, but they were not spiritually deep at all. 
thanks to this seeker-sensitive movement. So and I think there, there are other similar uh, input, such as, I mean, the purpose-driven movement. I mean, I, I think, uh, and then our seminaries stopped teaching what we're talking about. They simply, other than Dallas and, and a few others, I suspect Master's Seminary is teaching it, but there are very few seminaries. I just brought Mark, Dr. Mark Hitchcock to Minneapolis for a one-night little prophecy conference we had uh, here in town two weeks ago, and, and he would be the first to tell you um, the seminaries simply are not teaching eschatology any longer, so the pastors are being sent out. They don't know how to teach it. They simply don't. Uh, so that's some of the things that are going on. Again, pastors are afraid of scaring people with with what they would call doom and gloom. We don't call it that because if you know where you're going and if you know the church escapes the tribulation, then there may be some tough times that we're going through as we speak. I mean, we we certainly have some times that are, I think, are the most difficult in my lifetime going on, going on right now, but we do escape the wrath of God. I have a question, and this is a loaded one, but I, w- I would be very yeah. curious as to get your answer on this. I am not of this opinion. I believe we have the books of the Bible for a reason, and the Bible is the Word of God. Um, but growing up, I've heard people say things like, well, you know, John was in exile when he wrote Revelation, almost to say mm-hmm. that maybe he was a little crazy, and you can't really <laughs> take everything that he said for truth and granted yeah. and things like yeah. that. I am assuming that you have heard those things, uh, too. What do you say to somebody that's, like, kind of casting doubt or throwing shade, as as the young kids say, on the book of Revelation? Well, I think the the first thing that that comes to my mind is the reference in, I believe it's 2 Peter, that says in the last days the people will be scoffing what we're talking about, just scoffing and mocking it, and, and that's kind of, what what you're describing there, um, uh, you know, I could literally write a book, maybe I should, about what we're talking about, because it is complex. As my friend Bill Koenig says, and, and he was just interviewed by Chad Grunning, and if your audience is wondering who, who Bill is, Bill is kind of an expert on what's happening in the Middle East from a biblical perspective says all the time, we are the generation that is seeing the most fulfilled activity that the Bible predicted, the generation that's seeing this explode more than any other generation ever, and then he always throws in the caveat, with the least amount of interest. So I think in some cases, you know, to, to answer all three of you and the things that you're asking, I think there is some fault on the part of of some listeners anyway. They simply have no interest. I think what's happened with a a lot of churches is they're preaching your best life now. They're telling folks, you can have a wonderful life. You can prosper. You can even be be healthy, wealthy, et cetera, et cetera. Why would they want to leave Earth if they could have all that kind of glory now, which is the exact opposite? of the message of the Bible, and that the message of the Bible is our best life, the glorious future we have is only in heaven, heaven alone. Nothing that's going to happen on earth is going to compare. Amen and amen. Jan, what you got coming up this weekend? We're going to talk about some church issues. I have a pastor, and we're going to talk about, um, the. and I'm sure you gentlemen have covered the fact that only 37% 
of pastors today have a biblical worldview. Yes. Um, well, that's kind of scary. Mm. Um, and then another article I have that is just stunning. It's from the religious left, a pastor from the religious left saying, if we don't stop evangelicals, um, we're we're heading towards a theocracy where where everybody's in danger. Well, that's the mindset of the religious left. They're kind of nutty, but it's it's a it's a terrifying column. And just what is the Christian to do about this mindset that's out there? Always very interesting. Understanding the times. One o'clock on Saturday here at AFR. One o'clock central and noon central on Sunday. Jan, thank you so much. Thank you, Fred. All right. All right. Bye take now. care. Jan Markell of Understanding the Times. Very popular program here on American Family Radio. All right. Uh, our next guest is all ready. Jay, I, I want to introduce you to a guy. Maybe you've, not, maybe you've heard of him. Uh, Alex McFarlane. I, I, he hangs around here a little bit. Alex. That's the guy that makes peanut butter. That's right. <laughs> I'm just a saved sinner who's excited about Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Alex, uh, good to have you with us right now. Alex, uh, we're, 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 uh, we've got some really interesting topics going here between you and Jan. But there was a poll that came out, a Gallup poll, just in the last week or so that I wanted to get your comments on. And this is the latest poll of, of uh, Americans and where they stand in their belief in God. Do they believe there is a God? And that number has dropped down to 81%. And people may say, well, that's, that's still a pretty good number. But the problem is uh, it is a decline that is increasing every time that Gallup or another pollster does this kind of poll. Alex, what's going on out there? Well, well, I, I appreciate you all addressing this because it, it really is concerning. I, I remember when I was in graduate school like 25 years ago, um, even then, belief in God was never less than about 94%. It was always like 94 to 96%. Occasionally, would go up to about 97, 98%. And the fact is, we have never seen an America before where 20% of the people, adults, don't believe in God. This is very, very important because our belief about God or lack of belief in God shapes our morals, you know, what we think is right and wrong, ethics, uh, priorities, how we vote. So um, it, it really, it's one of the most significant things in the history of our country, 240 years plus, um, that belief in God, which has been the foundation of our country, and not just God in some ag- abstract sense, but the Christian God, and I can prove that, but... Um, it is a very significant and tragically unfortunate development that our belief in God is is ebbing away. Ray, why is that happening? Okay, I'm sitting here thinking about this, and Alex, I know that you you travel all over the country. I've got two questions for you. Number one, does just from where where you are sitting as you travel and talk to people? Does that does does the do the results of the poll seem accurate to you? In other words, do you believe we really have gone down from ninety five, ninety eight percent to maybe what eighty one percent of Americans only uh, believe in God? And and if that's if that matches your observation, how did this happen? I mean, in twenty five or thirty years, such a precipitous drop, and no one knows what that's going to mean for the future. But how did we get from ninety eight percent to eighty one percent? 
so quickly? Well, yeah, we could do a whole show on this, but let me say um, basically how we got here and how uh, unbelief and atheism is really even escalating. In fact, um, apart from a great move of the Holy Spirit, I mean, if, if, if we all have this conversation two years from now, it'll be more like 60% believe in God. Mm. And in five years, e- even less. Um, in, in fact, guys, listen, I was having a conversation with um, Dr. Dobson last fall, James Dobson, and, you know, some of the names we often throw around, like Chuck Colson and Don Wildman and James Dobson and the late D. James Kennedy, these, these were guys that, you know, 45, 50 years ago, um, in the late 70s, early 80s, God raised up some leaders that warned if we keep going down this road of sexual promiscuity, sexual license, uh, abortion, no legal protection for the unborn, the breakdown of the family, the mainstreaming of homosexuality, the disregard of the rule of law, if we keep going down this road, we're going to be in a bad place. Uh, Dr. Don Wildman warned us of that. Dr. Dobson, some names like uh, the late Jerry Falwell, Phyllis Schlafly, people like that. I was talking to James Dobson last fall, and and I said, you know, when I came to work for you 19 years ago, uh, my pastor at that time said, oh, Alex, Dobson is radical. He's really an alarmist. And and Dobson looked at me and he said, if anything, all of us, Colson and all, we understated we, we we should have probably emphasized even more how dangerous our country is getting. And, you know, I remember, guys, you know, when I was starting Biblical Worldview Conferences, you know, 20-some years ago, and I would meet with pastors and denominational leaders. I'm talking national leaders. And, and I had a guy, one of the um, vice presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention, he said to me 25 years ago, he said, Alex, come on. Uh, unless you go to the foreign mission field, most Americans will never, ever even meet a Muslim. And and he said to me, and this is a quote, the, one of the heads of the Southern Baptist, because I'm saying, oh, come here, Josh McDowell, come here, Lee Strobel, come on out and, you know, hear Eric Metaxas. And this head of the SBC said to me, he said, Alex, all this C.S. Lewis stuff, apologetics, you'll never need that unless you go to, like, Oxford or Cambridge, he said, most Americans will never even meet an atheist. <laughs> My point being is, it's time that the church listen to the voices, and we are saying, uh, if we don't have a revival, we will not only lose our structure and order, we're ultimately going to lose our constitution, because as the founders said, our constitution is only made for a moral and religious people. And so uh, there's the future of the country at stake, but there's also the souls of millions of people that are unsaved and they need Christ. Do you guys think that churches, you know, we have a lot of pastors and deacons and whatnot uh, listening to these these shows. Uh, Is this something that churches need to kind of realize? Like, you know, Ray mentioned a minute ago, there was a time back on Sunday night where it was Bible prophecy night. Um, is this hmm. something that churches need to take into consideration and start gearing certain messages, certain times during the week, to bring in people, uh, particularly young people? Because uh, I think Alex is correct. In a couple of years, it's going to be a, a lot less than 81%. We already know that millennials and Gen Zers and 
whatever we're going to call the people after Gen Zers, a lot of them are falling away from the church, if they even believe at all. So it's going to be really bad in the not-too-distant future. Is this something that churches need to be focusing on now and not just give us the seven things to have a great week this week sermons? JFK, John F. Kennedy said, the time to repair the roof is while the sun is shining. And uh, listen, I love the church. I don't mean to be, uh, I don't mean to sound flippant, but um, far too many pastors are like B-grade motivational speakers. And it's like, you know, God loves you. You can hang in there. Have a good week. Look, this is the time. Come on, pastors. This is why you're a, you're a, a preacher in a pulpit. This is the time to proclaim truth, call sinners to salvation, warn the world that Jesus is coming, and he is. Evil men will wax worse and worse, but Christ is going to return. This is the time, I think, that it's pedal to the metal, full court press, and let's call the world and our parishioners to scriptural truth. You know, uh, all of this discussion, I think, uh, points to an urgency, an urgency uh, to get the gospel, because what we are talking about is the eternal destiny of souls, the eternal destiny of souls. And if we have an increasing number of people who don't even believe in God, it points to all these issues that you guys have been talking about. But it also, it, it just points, Alex and, and Ray, chime in here, uh, the need to get the the simple, powerful message of the gospel out there, that this world as we know it is coming to an end, and you must make a decision for Jesus Christ. You must understand, and, and if they're not being taught in church, they need to know why Jesus came, who he was, why he came. Uh, he came to die to pay the price for our sins, and unless you believe in that, unless you trust in the Lord for your salvation— if you're depending on and hoping on good works are going to get you into heaven, that is not the gospel message. There is a reason Jesus had to die, because a price has to be paid for our sins. It is the free gift of salvation, simply believing what Jesus did for you, repenting of our sins, turning to him, trusting in him for our salvation. That is the message that has to get out there, and it's urgent because there is a price to pay if you reject that. And mm. last comments from Alex first and then Ray. Well, yes, there is a price to pay. Uh, this world is not all there is. And, you know, Edmund Burke, one of the uh, leaders of colonial America, he said, and, and I think this is why post-World War II, uh, I know we're talking about the last 60-plus years, but after World War II was a great time of prosperity, and by the end of the 50s there was the emergence of what we call adolescent culture. Edmund Burke said, that which we obtain too easily, we esteem too lightly. See, here's the thing, and I, I love young people. I'm, I'm in front of young people literally every weekend of the year. Uh, but millennials, Gen Z, and younger, they don't know the lives that were spent in securing our freedom. They, they really don't know how businesses were built, wealth was created, the sacrifice. And I'm old enough... Listen, I, I, I know older people who never had indoor uh, plumbing. And there, this prosperous America, we didn't always have. There was a lot of work and sacrifice and honesty and just uh, good old-fashioned work ethic that built America. And uh, we need not only to understand the brevity of life and our accountability to God, but we need to understand how blessed we are to have this land of milk and honey we've taken for granted. 
Ray? You know, it's easy to be discouraged when we have a discussion like this because it is obviously true that our society has lost its way. We've become unhitched from our moorings. We've forgotten our history. All the stuff Alex just said, it's 100% true. And that's why America is where it is and why we're on a downward spiral. But, Fred, the things you said are, are entirely true. And we've got to remind ourselves sometimes that nothing that matters has changed. There is a God. God has spoken. He gave his son. His son died on the cross and rose from the dead. The gospel is still the power of God for salvation today. And if pastors would get back to teaching the word of God, preaching the gospel, challenging the congregation to live for Christ, we can still see the kind of great revival, the great turning to God that Alex has talked about and that we're all praying for. So friends, yes, these are difficult times, but they are the only times we are given, and the gospel is still true and powerful in the world today. So let's get busy sharing that good news because it's the hope for the world today. Amen and amen. Alex, uh, you and Bert, exploring the word, 3 o'clock Central here, Monday That's through right. Friday on American Family Radio. What are you guys dealing with right now? Well, we just started the book of Isaiah. We finished up 1 Corinthians, and we're in the book of Isaiah now, and we're just starting. It's a good time to tune in. You, you, you haven't missed much, so we'll be on at 3 p.m. Central today with Exploring the Word. Amen. Amen. Great to have you, Alex. You take care. God bless. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you. Uh, for our news stories topping the hour here. Much more ahead here on today's edition of Today's Issues. Steve Jordahl will be dropping in very shortly right after the news. And Ray and I will take a little break here and we'll be back with more news here on Today's Issues. Don't go away. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.